You are entering the theater of the mind, an arcane radio theater works podcast series featuring dramatizations of strange and fantastical tales. Series one, the mysterious card. Adapted by Jeff G. Rack and Charlie Mount from a story by Cleveland Moffat. Presented in six parts. Episode four. It was only out of deference to his well-known standing in the community that the police allowed Richard Burwell the privilege of receiving medical treatment in his own home. Their orders were peremptory to keep him under close surveillance. Of the charge of murder, I was, as yet, told nothing, only that he required a doctor and that my name and address were provided to the authorities by Burwell's staff. Upon arrival, I proceeded to examine the injured man. Afterwards, I was transported to headquarters for questioning. There I spoke to Captain George Gaslin of the Metropolitan Police Force. I knew the captain. It was he who had sought my advice on the last Water Street murder case a year ago. He knew the Riverside terrain well, having commanded the celebrated steamboat squad of officers who cleared the waterfront of the River Pirates. We spoke at the station house in the 7th Ward, one of the roughest parts of the city. Keep your hands off me, copper. In the tank with your best lanes. I'll ordain that big lamp and draw as soon as I get these irons off the Mick Ivory Bush. Move along, you gimp. Hey, Dr. Lancey, over here! Here! Captain, Captain, what is all this? A mass arrest? We just broke up the Courier's hook gang, rounding up the last of the couriers now. All L is broken loose down here. Come into my office where we can talk. That's better. That's quite a mob you have out there. Now, the Lexile committee's been after the precincts to clean up the waterfront, so we've been raiding all the gangs. But mostly they want the Water Street assassin caught. Seemed like your patience involved, Doctor. That's a bit queer, considering I brought you in on the case a year ago, the last time the savage struck. But surely you can't suspect Richard Burwell. He's one of the... I know who he is, Doctor. Let's start with, will the man live? I examined him. I found that he's suffering from a bullet wound in his back at about the height of the fifth rib. On probing for the bullet, I found that it's lodged near the heart, decided it would be exceedingly dangerous to try to remove it at his residence without the proper equipment. I sedated him, but he's in a tenuous state, and he'll need an operation soon. Fine. I'll arrange it. Tomorrow morning, then. The sooner the better. Aye. Now, I want the crake on this chancer. What's he doing downtown, acting the maggot? Captain, may I ask, why has he been charged with murder? I can answer that straight away. The witness has just arrived. I was about to hear his story myself. Wait a bit. Officer McGrady, you can bring that one in now. You are the magistrate? I'm Captain Gastlin. Captain, pardon. I am Alec Rousseau. Is the man dead? I didn't mean to kill him. Please, I have a family. You're not being charged, Mr. Rousseau. Have a seat. This is Dr. Lansing. I have no need of a doctor. I'm in Boston. He's not for you. He's performing the operation on the man you laid out last night. Ah, je comprends. Of course, of course. Yes, can you give us a full reckoning? Of course. I am completely willing to cooperate. You have to understand it is a dangerous neighborhood. I have been robbed seven times. Do the police come? Not once. 
Oh, I am I'm not complaining. You're a busy man, I notice. You're not in any hot water, Mr. Russo. Last night? Last night? We... It was about uh, two o'clock in the morning. We had some business to finish, my partner Gaspard and I. We are printers at the Courrier Tajouni. We had just finished our morning edition. We stepped out onto Cherry Street and we were closing up shop. And we heard the most horrible screams. A woman? We, oui, a woman, from the direction of Water Street. Of course, we ran to her rescue. As we drew near, we saw a man spring away from something crumpled on the sidewalk. On the ground was a woman, dead. Horrible. We suspected that once it was the assassin. You understand, we both have families, wives, daughters. It is our neighborhood, so we ran after him. He darted left and right through a maze of streets, giving up strange little cries like an écurier. How do you say? A squirrel. We could not keep up. He was getting away, so I fired at him with my pistol. Then why, may I ask, are newspaper printers armed, Mr. Rousseau? Have you ever been on a Lower East Side Street at two o'clock in the morning, Capitan? Aye. Go on. Well, that is when we found him, the gentleman, rising on the ground. The police arrived, identified him, and took him away. And that gentleman was? That gentleman, Dr. Lansing, was Richard Burwell. The news that my sad-faced friend had been implicated in such a revolting occurrence shocked me inexpressibly. The poor man's life was like a punishment from the ancient gods. This was Prometheus and the Eagle, Sisyphus and the Boulder. Eleven years of torment, and now to be shot and charged with murder. New York's greatest philanthropist. I told the captain what little I could about him, what little he would believe. What could I say, that at the heart of all this agony and wretchedness lay a mysterious card? I was more determined than ever to uncover its secret. After two hours of questioning and another hour being held, the captain finally had some good news. Well, doctor, it seems your patient is not the Water Street assassin after all. He's been exonerated. The evidence given before the coroner's jury was such as to abundantly exonerate him beyond a shadow of a doubt. Mr. Burwell's own testimony taken at his bedside was in itself almost conclusive in his favor. When asked to explain his presence so late at night in such a part of the city, Mr. Burwell stated that he had spent the evening at the Florence Mission, where he had made an address to some unfortunates gathered there, and that later he had gone with a young missionary worker to visit a woman living on Frankfort Street, who was dying of consumption. This statement was borne out by the missionary worker himself, who testified that Mr. Burwell had been most tender in his ministrations to the poor woman, and had not left her until death had relieved her sufferings. Another point which made it plain that Mr. Rousseau and his partner had mistaken Burwell for their man in the darkness was the statement made by them that as they came running up, they had overheard some words spoken by the murderer 
which were in an odd version of their own language, French. Now, it was shown conclusively by Mr. Burwell's servants that Burwell did not know the French language, that indeed he had recently failed in an attempt to learn an even elementary knowledge of it. Furthermore, at the time of his arrest, no evidence was found on the clothes or person of Mr. Burwell, nothing in the nature of bruises or bloodstains that would tend to implicate him in the crime. The outcome of the matter was that he was honorably discharged by the coroner's jury, who were unanimous in declaring him innocent, and who brought in a verdict that the unfortunate woman had come to her death at the hand of some person or person still unknown. Wonderful. Wonderful news, Captain. I, I, I knew there must be a reasonable explanation. Good news for you and your patient, Doctor, but I still have a brutal croaker on the loose. Anything I can do to help? Uh, your testimony on the unique type of blade used in the last murder was very helpful. When we find the croaker who is murdering these women, and hopefully the blade he's been using, we hope to call you in to tie the two murder weapons together. That testimony will help fit the bastard for a halter for sure. It's the hangman's job to take life mine to preserve it. Tomorrow I must try to save Richard Burwell's life, if he's strong enough. Thank you, Captain. I made arrangements with the Captain to engage a nurse and prepare for Burwell's operation in the morning. The man's life depended upon my being able to extract the bullet, and the chance of doing this was quite slim. But after everything he'd been through, everything he'd done for this city, more than anyone I'd ever known, this man deserved that chance. The next day I rose early, breakfasted, and went to my office to collect the necessary medical supplies. It was a Sunday and my assistant Frederick should not be there, so I was surprised to find the door unlocked. As I entered, I became aware of another presence in the room. Standing near the window stood a tall man in a cream-colored tweed suit his complexion dark, his black eyes framed by a pair of golden horn-rimmed glasses. And in his hand, a dagger. Who the devil are you? Mr. Burwell is dead, is he not? What? He's dead, is he not? Burwell, Burwell dead? No, he's not dead. Why are you holding that knife? It's unusual, is it not? It's a Haledi dagger, the weapon of the Rajput. India's ancient warrior class. Double-edged, with a handle in the middle. Short. Short, curved, and useful for thrusting as well as slashing. Very much like the weapon used by the Water Street assassin. Precisely. So, it's you. Me? You've been in this office before, a year ago. And I saw you yesterday outside Miss Shadari's home. You've been following Mr. Burwell. You were in Paris 11 years ago too, weren't you? I was in Paris, and yes, I have been following Mr. Burwell. Why? Who are you? Are you here to kill me like you did all those women? You are mistaken, Doctor. I have not killed anyone. That dagger you hold convinces me otherwise. It is for you. Here. Place it on that table. And step away. As you wish. I have no other weapons. I am not here to harm you, Doctor. Who are you? My name is Eknath Shantanu. I know that name. Eknath Shantanu. 
Eknath Shantanu is one of Europe's most famous savants. I'm honored, sir. But I don't understand. What are you... You will oblige me by considering me in your debt and by never revealing my connection with this wretched man. Are you referring to Burwell? It is right for me to tell you, Doctor, that your patient, Richard Burwell, is beyond question the Water Street assassin. Impossible. He's just been exonerated. You will not say so when I have finished my story. It's 9 a.m. I, I have surgery in an hour. There is time. What story? I must go back to Paris, to the time 11 years ago when this man was first making his visit to the French capital. The mysterious card. Ah, he told you of his experience, but not of what befell the night before when he first met my sister. Your sister? Devan Chadhari. Yes, she who gave him the card. And in trying to befriend him, brought suffering upon both of them. It is time you knew about what killed her, the assassin, Richard Burwell, and the truth about the mysterious card. Next, on the mysterious card, she removed the card from the device, and it seemed as white as before, and empty of all meaning. That is, until one held it up and examined it intently. You have been listening to The Theater of the Mind, Series 1, The Mysterious Card, adapted by Jeff G. Rack and Charlie Mount, from a story by Cleveland Moffat. Presented in six parts. Directed by Jeff G. Rack, Technical Director Charlie Mount. Music composed and performed by Jay Wolfel. Presenting our voice talent players for Episode 4. Charlie Mount as Dr. Edward Lansing. Cool Dip Koratana as Eknath Shantanu. David Stafford as Captain Gastlin. Michael Pearl as Alec Rousseau. Jeff Rack as Police Officer. Dustin Hess as Festerlinks. And I'm your host, Jeff Rack. This has been an Arcane Theatre Works production. If you've enjoyed this program and would like us to do more, please go to our Patreon page to become a patron and valued member of Arcane Theatre Works. Your proceeds will allow us to pay our talented actors, artists, and technicians so that we can continue to bring you high-quality programming like the show you've just enjoyed. You can also go to our site, arcanetheaterworks.com, and sign up to be informed of our upcoming live and virtual shows and events. A special thanks to Alan Zorthian and the Zorthian Ranch. 